G'day guys, how's it going? Doing alright, doing alright. I am fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'm your host, Simkoff, and I'm joined by regular rollers, Merlin and Bird5R. What's up, my fellas? Up? <clears throat> Not much. Um, just, you know, I feel like these days I'm kind of getting back into the game again. Um, after the Kote, taking a bit of a break, just chilling out now coming up to worlds i feel like i'm getting back into it yeah so this yeah, is really the time to ramp shit up <laughs> this is the aussie world's contingent for sure <laughs> oh no, that's right going. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. plus rob oh yeah rob, if, he manages to buy, if he manages to buy a plane ticket rob buy a plane ticket if you're listening to this rob, that's not gonna happen <laughs> that's not gonna happen <laughs> if if you bet him 100 us dollars it might happen it happened for gen con I feel like he'll rock up to the airport and be one of those guys who buys international tickets at the sales desk of the airport. So. <laughs> yeah, I'd for a one thousand percent markup, yeah. <laughs> I'd like one ticket to North America. <laughs> right. We'll put you on standby, sir. Please take a seat. <laughs> I could totally see him doing that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. So it's not uh, far away. Not far away, worlds. It's like a couple of weeks, five, six weeks, and we have a like Fuck a. Dead. We got a release date. What I understand about the um, uh, underhand of the emperor, October four, I think. Correct. Yeah. Which is yeah, October now, five. Can we just? You know. <laughs> we need to put some context on this release date because normally these dates are sort of um, rumors, um, you know, whispers that you hear on the Discord servers, but this one was actually printed by ffg um that unfortunately doesn't mean shit because they've changed dates plenty of times before us in the past so we don't know for a fact but uh it's looking like yeah it's going to be legal which is crazy legal for worlds yeah i'm always surprised actually when if it, like when product comes out in australia because recently it used to be that it would come out way later but these days like recently with l5r it's been pretty on time the Phoenix pack came out pretty much bang when we expected it. I think that local, I mean, the local distributors and retailers have had to have realized that if you don't get the product on on time in this day and age, like people just buy it on Amazon. That's what I did with Game of Thrones in 1.0. Speaking of Game of Thrones, I still need to learn how to play that thing. So you guys heard of <laughs> Amazon Go? So what the hell is that? Amazon Go, these like... They've got them in the US and they're apparently like Bezos wants to go international with them and they're going to have like 300 more stores over the next few years. It's an article in the news uh, last week, but they're like these stores, like Amazon physical retail presences 
there's no people in them. You go in there and you do something <laughs> Amazon-y oh. and you walk out with your stuff. And so they're trying to they're <laughs> trying to capture the Seven Eleven market, and they want you to like. Dude, that they're speaking to me. I want zero <laughs> human interaction when I go shopping. <laughs> so the yeah. idea is you can walk in um, 24 hours, and if you need like you know like late night uh, veggie part uh, like pasty and uh, chalk milk, you just walk in there and bang, take it out, and then it just auto debits your Amazon identity or whatever. Crazy, right? Can you get? Do you reckon you can get uh, copies of the pack of l5r that policy debate was in <laughs> i think you when you're in- could because what you could stay yeah. in the store right and you print you could it let them the know ahead of time <laughs> put it in the store or they have drones that deliver them from straight from minnesota <laughs> <laughs> now, so when i was in seattle which yeah. is where amazon's hq is they the locals fucking hated amazon man they viewed them as like the evil empire it's because they are yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad <laughs> but yeah. It's great for us consumers, though. It is. L5 are on demand. Um, right. Yeah, so we got a few new cards, right? So just think through this. want to jump to spoilers? Yeah, let's just, just, let's just get that stuff out of the way. Right. All right. So no Scorpio okay, ones, well, so kind of boring. I had... <laughs> All right. You there? There's a bit of a delay issue going on here. Um. Hello, fellas. <laughs> we can add a key and kind of... I think you're dropping, maybe. Uh, sorry, it was dropping on this. We'll edit this, so let's go back from the um, spoilers side. So just let me lead it in. Uh, is he still sounding staticky to you, Miller? Yeah, he is. All right, what about now? Is it, am I better now? No. No, still staticky? Still staticky? S- still staticky, bubbly bubbly i'm just gonna cool isn't it good that we didn't stream this one <laughs> <laughs> right uh, dude this yeah. i feel like this is the shit that the people want to see man <laughs> um, okay leaving it in <laughs> if there was a weird edit we had some technical issues but we're back um right new spoilers uh, a few cards none of them were scorpion which makes me sad but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah all right <laughs> all fair cards what do we think Can about? Can I just say, yeah? just no. at the top, I think that maybe Scorpion are getting shafted in their own clan pack because a lot of this stuff, a lot of the um, the uh, stuff from the other clans looks really strong. And the yeah. Scorp stuff just seems like pretty, like somewhat good. So I don't know. Maybe oh. they're getting shafted. I don't know, man. I think some of the Scorpion stuff does look pretty good. Um, like I, I feel like I'm just going to get murdered after this clan pack comes out. <laughs> like my guys, I'm gonna to need to play like all three finger of jade, just to keep my guys around. Right. So yeah, it's a little bit of a worry the necessity of that card, finger of jade. Yeah. Doji Finiki just... was my favorite of this of this bunch of cards. Right. Like just you just gotta you're gonna lead with the best card. Just leading leading strong. She would not even deign to look upon her lessers, so she looks on nobody else because she's pretty much the bee's knees. Like, so is she a Rokugani version of like a Instagram celebrity? I think she so. looks yes. pretty famous. <laughs> Doji Hilton, <laughs> don't talk to me. No pictures. No pictures. Doji the artwork is fucking fantastic yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so she's a conflict character. Like that's pretty amazing. She's got like no military, but who needs that stuff? Three political, two glory. So you honor her 
and she's at two cost, and because it's pretty easy to honor people in Crane now, right? So from your hand, you've got this two cost two five character that has a bonkers ability. For for those of you who haven't seen the cards yet, and you're only listening to L five R through podcast format, odd choice, <laughs> odd choice. First of all, but tip of the hat to you playing uh, <laughs> playing L five R by mail. <laughs> yeah, so core to your character. During a conflict in which this character is participating, choose a dishonored participating character, dash, bow that character. This card's bananas. It's f- fucking bananas. It's only one more. All right. A little bit of a... Uh, from the top. It's a little bit more than the Ancient Master, and the Ancient Master's already great at getting you the favor. She's got way more skill, a relevant keyword, and that ability, uh, I feel like, is just crazy. Especially... So... All of the characters that are not Scorpion in the Scorpion pack are supposed to do something pretty great when it comes to Scorpion, kind of like Kikuyo against Phoenix. This is freaking great against Scorpion. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great against everyone. Like, it's phenomenal against Dragon. It's phenomenal against, like, Voltron-y type decks. I just think it's good in general. Like, mm. only Weenie decks is it not amazing against like can you see a deck a crane deck going forward but where you'd be like nah this character sucks that's a tough question um i think the test of skill version of crane if you Mm. the conflicts character side is kind of full right like do you cut a rival and a stewie for two of her well I, i think basically what's happening is the game is trending to all decks having close to 10 conflict characters. And I think that that inherent limit that like maybe we were perplexed us a bit back in core set is actually um, showing some truth that, that maybe 10 conflict, like as many conflict characters as you can get is good. Um, this, this chick's got great stats, great ability. Um, it's, it can be used as a way to like, if your opponent's got a dishonored Voltron, right. And you use this, are they going to blow their finger at Jade? If they don't, you nullify that character's skill. And if they do blow their finger of Jade, then you can play your knob sack or whatever. So it just feels like a really powerful effect on a two-drop. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah, Game of Sedano with this. I feel like Game of Sedano is a pretty good card right now. And with this character, I think it is still, you know, it's even better. A lot of the cranes I talk to reckon Game of Sedano is unplayable, but I've been playing two of them. and I love them. <laughs> yeah, I I never like them when they get played against me. They're especially good against like Phoenix, Lion, those sorts of clans. But yeah, she's just she's just fantastic. Nice. Yeah, don't see any issues with her. She's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I think there's not much else to be said. Enough. About that, right. Enough drilling. Throw <laughs> your tongues back, boys. <laughs> I'd say she's like probably the second best character we've seen from the pack. Maybe third best. Uh, I'm I'm going with best man. Like that ability, I, it's good. Just... But I rate the unicorn chick the best. What eight messenger cost, cost? The one that the one that when you're attattacking, um, your the cost to play your opponent's cards is increased by one. Oh, I thought you were cavalry. comparing two cost conflict courtiers. Oh, oh no no yeah. I think is this the first? No, the eight... first crane unique conflict character. It's kind of nice. Oh yeah, it is. That's true. But how how would you compare the unicorn two cost courtier con- uh, co- who's got one two 
Uh, and during a conflict, spend one fate, choose a character you control, dash, move that character to the conflict. That's not a that's not a real card, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that out of that's like not a, a real fucking card? Custom card Saturday. I've never, I've never heard of that card before. <laughs> then again, I'm only familiar with like eight of Unicorn's cards. So that's true. All right. Okay. What's next? Let's let's tackle this understated dragon character. Um, three cost. It's only got three three with zero glory. Bushi, give it a duelist just in case you decide to splash test a skill. Interrupt. <laughs> Would another character you control be dishonored instead? Dishonors character, and then FFG thought, oh, you know what? That's not strong enough. Like you know, it's half the young rumor effect. We have to give it something else. Oh, I know what it can do. Ready that character. This character. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, oh, you want to dishonor my guy? Nope. Plus, oh, by the way, I'm attacking you now. <laughs> yeah. So, so just off the, the top, amazing stat line. But dragon is kind of the king of stats. So, like, it's got nothing on volcanic control, right? Like volcanic control <laughs> of this card. That's true. Yeah, and that nothing. card doesn't even see play really. Um, the interrupt is great. Got zero glory. Zero glory is awesome because you you can. Flick a dishonor token off Mitsu and onto yeah. her, but I feel like Alchemist does that a little better because he got more flexibility with the ability and so on. Um, I'm, know, I'm, my hope with this is that it doesn't see play in the monk deck, and there's some sort of like bushy duelist. I hope there's a split between the two dragon decks, but we probably need a lot more juice for that. Maybe the dragon clan pack. But yeah, I think, I think it's pretty to, solid. I think you need to bring the power of the current deck down a bit. Or raise raise whatever their alternative is. I don't even know what their alternative is, but I feel like I feel like this card just gets Doji Finikied, right? So it can ready itself, but then Doji Finikied just bows it again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's finicky, but I guess that's true, though, right? So I think the designers think every time a potentially good card comes out for another clan. That could potentially unsee Dragon. It's like, oh, hold on. We better make sure Dragon can do with this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Yeah. They are quite underpowered. Let's just think Dragon. about this again. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm just shocked that... I'm shocked that after... Like, just how out of touch it seems design was after that first arc. Because a lot of the player base thought Dragon was the most powerful deck or close to it, along with Scorpion. And then they just got all of the good cards. It's just mind-boggling. This one's decent... I think in any other clan you'd go yeah i'd probably play that i mean it's got great stats and it's got a cool ability but like in a dragon deck maybe you don't it doesn't seem that much play yeah. right now all right so there was a third card revealed which to be honest is my i mean i thought the crane one was my favorite but i'm gonna have a hell of a lot of fun with this character everyone else is gonna <laughs> think it's trash i'm sure but i mean it's a two cost crab character yusuke oguri unique dynasty side courtier covert reaction after an opponent plays an event during a conflict and with this character is defending dash until the end of the conflict this character gets plus one plus one unlimited so put this character into a conflict people start playing events uh you react you get bigger and bigger and bigger it's a bit of an odd one but i think it works really well in seeker of earth crab rush <laughs> oh god that's right. right. I said it. You're you're obsessed. You're freaking obsessed. <laughs> so the, stat, the stats are kind of low, except for the fact that it has an, uh, like a built-in pump, right? And nearly always in conflicts you care about, your opponent's going to be playing some sort of an event. So yeah. it's going to most of the time be like a two-two or a three-three. I think 
Um, the covert trait is kind of a little anti-synergistic because it means yeah. using your own attack, then she doesn't get to use her ability unless you could ready her, which Crab are good at readying, I guess. Um, the core tier trait is kind of cool because it means now, I guess, Crab can maybe play for shame. They've got two Yusukis that have core tier trait. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I kind of like it. It feels a bit like the... Um... What's the Phoenix one that gets plus one, plus one when you play a spell? Tetsu. Shiba Tetsu. Tetsu? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Tetsu is kind of in your control, right? So you're the one initiating the spells and giving the pumps. Whereas this one is much like Watch Commander and all those other cards, which are on the denial side, right? They disincentivize Hmm. your opponent playing cards. I'm not sure that this is going to give Crab a big boost or anything, but it's kind of nice as an option. I dig it. Really Anything like with unlimited, you have to be careful when you're analyzing it because it's such a powerful... Um, breaking that fundamental once per turn, per triggered ability, is such a powerful uh, effect, mm-hmm. um, most of the time anyway. So if people want to look at the deck that this belongs into, uh, Merlin recently streamed a game where I was <laughs> running that um, Seeker yeah. Earth Crab Rush deck and, you know... Might get a surprise at the end. It did. It did. It did all right. So no, two I drop actually, covert actually, is pretty good. But let me tell you. Let me tell you about this game. All right. right? So <laughs> he's he's playing. He's playing Seeker of Earth Crab. He says, "Merlin, you want a game?" I'm like, "Yeah, all right." And he just pulls out this Seeker of Earth Crab deck, and I'm thinking, oh, "All right, it's going to be time like, waster." Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be like this. Uh, the one that was on uh, No Funny Stuff, you know, something like that. And I kind of felt like the game. The game went fairly standardly but then we got ourselves into this situation where we're both on was it three breaks and we're both on each other's strongholds like we just we just slammed into each other and let each other take breaks (laughs) and then we end up on strongholds uh i had i had kurimura in my stronghold right so i kept flipping political yeah um and all through this he's like making me lose honor and all this type of thing so it comes down to the final conflict of the game and I feel like I've got it, right? I'm on a political conflict. He doesn't really have very many guys. And we trade blow for blow. Uh, and you remember, I don't know what you remember about, um, what was it? Ethos, perfect land ethos. That was the last <laughs> card that won it. That was the last <laughs> card of the game. I, I play a court games <laughs> to get the one skill that I need, the one skill to win this so, goddamn yeah. game. And he I'll says, oh. I got the perfect card for that. <laughs> Man, that's I love that. Glenn, deck. somewhere right now, Glenn is just fucking smiling. <laughs> he watched. The he was watching it. that game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he watched that game. But Man, then he I was go. rebuilding CUNY Laboratories. I was playing Waning Hostilities. Man, it was just oh, loved it. Oh, and that first turn, that first turn of yours, oh. where you're like. Where it's in a political conflict, he's like, oh, I know what to do. He plays a bonsai, and I think to myself, you know it's a political conflict, right? Uh, and then he plays he plays something else rat. to get over my skill, and then he plays he plays a rat to send me home. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, all I so wanted I to do, do all I wanted to do was win the the favor, right? So he, he ends up sending me home, winning a ring, bowing himself, and I still get the favor. So Yeah, it was classic Simcoe misplay. <laughs> But you Man, still won? Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> yeah. Man, dude, should... I was playing Crab Seeker of Earth. Like that they made out like it's bandits legendary. when those second rolls got chosen for sure. <laughs> but you uh, know what? Yeah. The crabs have only themselves to blame for that one, I gotta say. I don't know. I love I have it. no sympathy. 
you can watch that game over on the um on the twitch channel the tbp aftermath twitch channel which we will I'll send uh yeah we'll link it cool all right well that was that that was the last that was the last of the spoilers from today was, was it? I um, think so yeah so the world cup has been like in a very sharp segue uh the world cup's been going on week two you can check out hiddencityrollers.com for the week two's blog post any minute um but uh these guys uh Bert and merlin have been on the casting couch and uh They've been running a few games. So, did you guys have any highlights? Was there any games you guys cast that you wanted to talk about? Actually, oh, have we already talked about like the Australian game, Chris versus something? We talked about that last week, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know if we did. We talk about it on the cast. No, it was on the weekend. No, we played it on the weekend, so no, 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 no. Oh, imagine okay. we haven't. People need to check out that game. Like that game was so close, so tight for so long. It was like uh, it was a slog fest. You know, nobody was getting breaks. It was just trading honor. This is a great game. And yes. uh, just for some background, Chris the Grinder ends is part of our Australian World Cup team, along with two of our other rollers from this podcast, Ben and I. So Ben, I, and uh, Chris were all on a call, which is permitted <laughs> in the rules to, to, you can kind of like, I guess, powwow, make decisions together. Um, but yeah, ends played like a perfect game and played to his outs. It was really, really close really close and it's always nice to see janky phoenix beating dragon yeah for sure um, it was and it was, was getting our, very very exciting only win, right yeah that was our only win for that uh so we're two wins and four losses our record is at the moment so we need to yep. basically three nil it if we want and then hopefully we might get lucky and make it to the next phase not exactly sure how can that we works. even i don't think i got dumped by unicorn <laughs> i got absolutely <laughs> dumped totally by unicorn <laughs> In the I current head, the whole game, and he just broke my stronghold. I'm like, what's what the fuck's happened? <laughs> I've been ahead this whole fucking game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I champion love... ends. Um, yeah. So at least we're not going to get the one game that I have. Yeah, that's true. One game that I casted. It was a solo cast um, that I really enjoyed. Was between Hungary and Indonesia, and it was mainly for tiebreakers because I think Hungary was already up 2-0. But it was between Ze a player called Zello and Effigy. And it was Crab v. Scorpion. And it came down to an insane, like a five-minute decision by Zello to not attack a final attack. Because the Scorpion player had like one way he could possibly win the game, which was to way of the Scorp into play his third assassination to get the guy to zero. Um, so he, forgo he forewent a really, really strong ring in the second to last turn of the game. Um, to to avoid that one way he could have lost. And then the following turn, I was thinking about it. I'm like, man, this guy's running three Cooney Laboratories. If he flips that up, he's also going to die because it's a forced reaction. <laughs> yeah. So there was so many, like, really... It was really, really tense uh, end to the game. Really well-played game. So that one we'll link to. But yeah, check that out. So you know, I learned something. I learned something about Cooney Labs. If it's in your bin and then you rebuild it into your provinces, you don't actually need to trigger its ability for it to have the plus one plus one effect. Just static. Yeah, yeah. It just needs to be there. I mean, that's second yeah. nature for us seeker of Earth players. But uh, yeah, get it if you're not familiar, if you're not initiated. <laughs> can I just say that? <laughs> can I just say that I love Cooney Laboratory because it it encourages crabs to actually go for the win. And there's something that that clan has struggled with, like playing, like winning within time, winning, you know, inside yeah. seven fucking rounds of play. And so, like, I like that that card exists. I think it's a really good design. 
Yeah. I actually feel like that deck's a lot of fun too. It is. Hell yeah, dude. Who, you know, who plays games for fun, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> just on the World Cup, I was just like looking at where we're at after round two. So nobody. So there's been six. Every country's had to play six games, right? Because each round is three games per round, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So nobody's gone six nil yet. Uh, but we've got three countries that have actually made it. Oh no, four countries that have made it five one. So the Swedes in their group. In group one have made that and they're like sweden who's brazil, on that team sweden brazil italy and uh belgium uh not, not exactly sure who's on that team i'll pull it up right now but yeah it's um it's so they've gone five one here we go the swedish team if i have a look here is well see so i only, I only know Dirty deeds lego streck and dina chow that's impressive. And the unicorn they have is 2-0. and It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is quite phenomenal. Um, then we've got uh, Netherlands in Group 2. They've gone 5-1 against Greece, Malta, and Chile. And that's super impressive because that Greece team is stacked. So that's um, Dizzy Drone, Nels, and Killifix. And they've gone Scorpion, Crane, Crab. Um, yeah, so that's... And, and the hero, our hero, Demagogue, actually lost a game, which is quite surprising. <laughs> What? I reckon that's got to be a misprint. Misprint. <laughs> we didn't think yeah. it was possible. Hey, hey, Bert, what do you think of Demagogue's deck? Have you uh, ever his at it? Well, I haven't looked at it. No. I'm, I'm pulling uh, it up now. It's got like uh, two mediators in it. I really like his province lineup, but it's got like two mediators in it and a couple other things that seem a little bit edge, yeah. a little bit... Yeah. Little this bit is kind of cool. He's running a Mantis Seafarer. <laughs> that's the... Yep, that too. Yeah. It's like a weird economy choice. Um, okay, so he's gone for the dragon splash instead of... That's uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah well, uh, Bill is usually the, the lion splash, right? I think they both play it. But yeah, Bill... Uh, Vasilis is playing it, yeah. Yeah, so Devis yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix with the dragon splash, yeah. Um, this event has been so much bloody fun, though. Just oh, keeping up with it. Like the oh rivalries developing between <laughs> just, nations. I want to highlight the last country, the country that could. They're, they're a little country that um, little heard of. Nobody really knows them. They're just north of the US, Canada. And they won, they've got five game wins and one game loss. Like, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I thought you were trolling. I thought you were going to say Australia, the little country that could. <laughs> nah, we're, we're stuffed. No. <laughs> we're stuffed, mate. <laughs> we've had it. <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure we we don't make it out of this bracket no matter what nah. even if we just even if they throw every single game in our the next three games we are not going anywhere yeah i think we got to throw all of our support behind the canadians <laughs> what we need to do right is we need to three zip russia and then we need to go and poison the polish and swiss, uh, swiss teams <laughs> oh just take them out of the too soon too yeah. soon all <laughs> <laughs> right uh, so yeah, that's so the World Cup is pretty exciting. Week two, we're actually starting to see how it all shapes up. So there's one more round, week three, which the matches are up, and by that stage, every team in each group's kind of played each other, and then some Byzantine algorithm that Minds Desire uh, comes up with will determine what the next stage looks like. Um, It'll be very, just very like fun. the Olympics. Whatever is best for the United States to get the most gold medals <laughs> is the format that they'll choose. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure China will get, or China and Russia will get disqualified. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Actually>, doping. <laughs> well, maybe not in this political environment, but anyway. Um, hot button issues, let's avoid them. So the next uh, topic of conversation, what do we want to do? So let's Donald Trump, America. eh? Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's talk about American politics. Hot button issues. <laughs> how, how about that Kavanaugh nomination? <laughs> no, all right, let's, um, let's not talk about What's that. with Donald Trump winning all of the policy debates? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally rigged. Rigged. All right. What, ca- what card would Donald Trump be in El Favar? I'm, I'm thinking the Kabuki hero. The, you know, Kabuki the guy with no real mouse, but he, he puffs himself up. Oh, this is really funny for us because we don't live in the USA. Somebody, somebody actually said that uh, Yusuke Taka might be the El Favar Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. He is, he is an expert in the art of the deal, for sure. He's read that cover to cover. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's on his flavor text. I'm going to look it up. Uh, it's on the flavor text. I think it's offered testimony or one of the new cards. It has uh, somebody, it's got a quote uh, uh, from that. Oh, yeah, I'm loving the way they're threading they're threading um, oh, flavor text together. Yeah. It's really fucking cool. It's like little Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool. It's Yusuke, the flavor text. Yusuke yeah. Taka's flavor text is, I find the best use of my mouth is to bargain with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've heard Don- the Donald-, Donald say that a couple of times. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So there's that. <laughs> um, yep. That just happened. Yes. Yes, dear listener. Uh, yeah. You heard that. All right. So we've talked about spoilers. There's actually, there was a topic we did want to kind of just have a little bit of a powwow about. Um, we don't like to get too heavy into the strategy because we're very unskilled players, but um, there is something to talk about, which is around risk-taking. And this is something that's come up in a few games we've been playing lately. We'll be talking about how sometimes, especially like, say, against Dragon, um, you can feel like you're in... If things don't change rapidly, you could see that yourself becoming in a lost position. So sometimes you've got to say gambles to kind of do that. So I guess, first of all, like... When is it worth taking a gamble? And, and, and you know, this whole risk-taking, like risk versus the conservative option. Before we continue, well, let's just... I think we should analyze this in the constraints of a 60-minute timed game, which is what we're all working towards because Worlds is coming up, and that's the premier event format, regardless of what the Discord League fanboys say. That is the way that the champion is crowned in L5R, the Shogun is crowned. So that's the format we'll talk yeah. about, I guess. Um. It's a really it's a really interesting discussion. I think there is like Dragon's public enemy number one with these risk by risk taking, we really mean running into provinces, right? And now Crane has one that's pretty bad as well. So if you go, you can't really poke Crane turn one anymore. Because you need to be able to break that with that attack. Otherwise you run the risk of hitting Magistrate Station and having them have a free unbow every turn. So yeah. there's a couple scenarios in modern L5R where become you, you're so disincentivized from attacking that it's almost not worth it um but then at some point uh the uh the economic incentives or the, the time and second incentives outweigh um you know the stalemate and you have to go to vegas as they say what are yeah, your experiences really sure. with it? Uh, well, when you said when you said, "Hey, we should talk about risk taking," I wasn't actually thinking too much about the provinces. I was actually thinking about the the card investment that you that everybody has to do in a conflict. Um, I was watching a game yesterday. Oh, I was casting a game yesterday, 
shoot versus uh, Sandy Bell, and Sandy Bell's behind, you know, basically the whole game, but he's he's clawing it back. And in the game, uh, we know that shoot has a fate worse than death, but he doesn't have enough honored people to protect against Essentia, which we know that um, Sandy Bell has. So it's like, can I actually take the risk of playing this fate worse than death? And let and risk it getting cancelled because if it does, I I just lose the game. Various points throughout the game, that risk becomes more and more attractive because you get further and further behind. So at some point, you just have to say, "I got to play it." And if he's got the if he's got the cancel, he's got the cancel, and I lose. That's a really interesting point. And usually in that situation, like the earlier you play it, the less likely they are to have the cancel in their hand. Yeah, because of card draw. But also, like the less the less of the benefit, right? Because if you're already if the game's more even, you can kind of save it. It's a very interesting. Um, some games it feels like the entire game hinges on that sort of like uh, higher order game gameplay. It's really cool. Yeah, I always feel like when you're in the game uh, and you're losing, right? When you're behind, if you're if you're behind, you actually have to take risks in order to get ahead. And you want you wanted those risks to kind of pay off. Um, so when you get to this point in a tournament, right? Like you might be you might be down on cards, and you might want to bid five to draw more cards. But bidding one, um, even though it doesn't get you as many cards, might get you the the tiebreaker points, you know. And that's the risk, you know. Um, yeah, because then you're going to get smashed in the conflict phase that turn, most likely as well. Yeah, right. But if you, you can, have card if you can disadvantage. Just, if you can just hold on, though, right? Like you're going to mm. take that risk. I'm going to go down on card advantage, and but I'm going to go up on honor. That's the risk. And then you have that. Then during the course of that turn, you you go, I want to defend this. I want to keep my points advantage because when time gets called, I'll have tiebreaker points. It really puts think, your opponent into a tricky. Yeah, tiebreaker. The tiebreaker rules. I don't want to go there, but yeah, the tiebreaker rules are like a necessary evil, right? If you want to have one-hour mm. games. Mm. That could be improved some. a bit, but but um, with with this concept of risk taking, I think that there are certain clans where you kind of your hand is a bit forced. Like if you're playing lion or unicorn, it's your job to set the pace of the game. You are the tempo setter. You're the aggro deck, and so you actually are kind of obliged to take the risks, which makes the matchup against dragon feel really weird because it's like, well, we both know that I'm going to take the plunge in this game. And so you plan your whole, like you could, the, your opponent can plan their opening turns in a different way than they would in a mirror, say, where they have to kind of be more conservative with the, with the way they play and stuff. So it's really interesting this game, the way that matchups dictate the way these games have to be undertaken. Yeah, I feel like if you are facing a dragon opponent, you're right. Um, normally, I would play very conservatively until the later stages of the game where I need to be taking those risks to get ahead to win the game. But in Dragon, because of their province lineup, right, um, you really need to be thinking about uh, Restoration of Balance because that will... Like, you could recklessly hit that province and then just lose the game on turn one. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's a different sort of risk than hitting Magistrate Station. Even though they're both really bad, if you have too many cards in your hand. Like, if you've both been bidding five, three times, you're basically fucked. You've got 30. <laughs> yes, I do. 
that game was crazy. I've been trying to get onto the Twitch admins to see if they can sort of dig up that video, but apparently Twitch don't support their users at all. So yeah, they're, they're, they're might so be massive to the now. Wins. I think uh, on the on the top on this topic, just play scorpion or dragon, and you don't have to worry about taking risks because <laughs> you've just got natural edge. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would say. Hey, when when do you guys dial back your bids? That's another. Do you guys have question. like a do you have like a rule? Definitely. I always feel like rule. I always feel like when I get to about six, that's when I'll think about it. Right? I feel like if I'm at six, I'm going to bid three and then see what see what my opponent does. Um, I definitely yeah. think that there's it's both matchup dependent and depending on what your deck needs. It's you know what what is the minimum amount of fuel required to get whatever my objective for the turn is done. Um, and I know like I've recently been playing a bunch of lion and crab like aggro crab, which I know are not you know the popular decks at the moment. But a big part of that is understanding you know lots of people and you know you've probably thought a lot about about fate management. But in both of those decks, honor management is super key because you're using honor as a re, uh, as a resource, right? So you know yeah, you've got your spreading, yeah, a spread, yeah, spreading the darkness, CUNY, uh, laboratory, etc. Yep. So you're trading honor for huge increases in tempo, early turn tempo, yeah, and ability to break provinces, which is pretty important for those decks. It's a really interesting point that. You, you can think about honor in a different way in those sorts of games. It's not it's not just an economic indicator like it is when two scorpions take, you know, their time to devour each other. Like it really does <laughs> yeah. it, it can be used to win you the game, to throttle you to victory. Yeah, for sure. I think more broadly, I just I would say if I'm at like around about five honor, then I'm starting to think about my bids. If I'm if I'm at like six or seven, I'm probably still gonna be bidding high. But yeah, I think some like certain turns you do have to really pause and think about your bids i think if you're playing against scorpion or dragon the sooner you can get it to one bids the better for you that's what i would say because those clans need agree. a lot of cards completely agree um since we are talking about like the tournament format do you guys uh have a notion of when to drop the bids in order to try and get the tiebreaker points from honor it's a really it, interesting point is it is it even something you think about? I, I had a definite game plan for it at the Kote. Okay. Well, is it just like 15 minutes beforehand you start kind of changing Essen your bits up? Essentially, essentially, yeah. When it got to 15 minutes, um, yeah, I was dropping down to one just to grab those tiebreaker points because yeah. they're a lot, right? Two points is a lot of points, especially if you're an aggro deck and you've been breaking all the way through the game. Oh. Those those make a huge difference. Well, it's actually huge. more. It's more than a province. Two points, right? Because if you have more honor, more honorable, then you're denying your opponent more honorable as well. It actually yeah. counts as more than just a broken province. Yeah. So people who say honor is equal to provinces, it. that is that is not true. Honor most honorable is not equal to provinces. Provinces are worth less. Yeah, and not by the a fact lot, that you, by a you can be up by one or you can be up by ten. It makes no difference. You still get the two points. Yeah. I, I personally was playing a very quick deck in Lion, like with charges, my restricted cards. So I didn't even get close to going to time at all. But um, I think if I were playing something like Dragon or Crab or one of the slower decks, I would um, I would definitely have a game plan for that. Yeah. And I've actually tended to drop my bids earlier rather than later. Uh, I've I've started to drop them even earlier than I used to. I think. Hey, can I be 
like a little bit controversial. Let me let me just let me just posit a scenario, and you guys can tell me what you think. So, uh, at the Cote, a lot of my games kind of did go. Not a lot of my games. Some of my games went to time, and then we ended up in that situation where are you going to concede? No. Am I going to concede? No. And now you're in a position where you actually have to full win kind of within that round. Um, do you? So we were talking about taking risks. You can't concede in if you've gone gone after time. You actually have, so do you kind of throw the game and put yourself in a position where your opponent will full win, such that you can get a higher strength of schedule. Okay, so you're talking about the situation where um, immediately when time is called, it's unclear if you've got a chance to win or lose. So you go for it, and then like ten, five minutes later, you realize you're fucked. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, that's and right. So then you, and so, yeah, okay. and so you, you then overcommit, such that your opponent can just come in and and take. take it's completely fine. Yeah, I think that that's a reasonable you strategy. play within the rules. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think what you're actually talking about there, right, is that's the challenge with the tiebreaker system. Like with the tiebreaker system, you're just going to have to, um, you know, make those decisions. I think it's ugly. It's not elegant, and it feels a little dodgy because i mean like the six like six zero versus ten one is a massive difference in strength of schedule and you know like the the idea that you're rewarded for actively trying to lose doesn't yeah. feel very within the spirit of the game but it is the florals so it's making the best of a shit set of circumstances yeah it's also say, a different uh, type of risk isn't it it's yeah, a different agreed. type of risk. Agreed. I would say I've heard on a lot of other casts and just in general, like forums and stuff, of people's. If you think it's more likely that your opponent should win, you should concede. I think personally, I just if I feel like I've got any chance to win in that turn, a reasonable chance, I will not concede because the difference between one and zero and ten and six is fucking massive. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Like a one point Having is not going to get you to day two. Having said that, um, I think I think that. Having said that, I'm just trying to organize what I do think about that. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. I feel like I feel like if you're going to if you've gone to time and you're looking at your opponent, the question is you win. The question is, can I swing the tiebreaker points? Yep. Right. Is if you can win outright, well, clearly that's a win. But if you can only swing the tiebreaker points, you got to be. I feel like you got to be really confident that you're going to do that. Otherwise, I probably would take loss over a zero point loss because that's going to put me at the bottom of my bracket, like my my record. Yeah. Do you think that they'll roll out new procedures before Worlds, given that they kind of teased us all with that reveal, like what was it, a couple months ago? <laughs> I, I think it'll all depend yeah, on how confident that. they are with uh, with their new tiebreaker rules. Like they've obviously been testing internally and talked a lot about it. My gut, and I'm not one of these people. We're not well. At least I'm not like a play tester guy or anything. But I bet you there's some trusted senior members of the L5R community that have been let in on you know what these options are, and maybe there's some feedback. Maybe not. Like you know. They have, they do. I think, especially with uh, what's the new fella's name? Is it Tyler? Is that his name? Tyler, Tyler yeah. Parrot. Yeah, yeah. He seems Tyler to be did. doing 
a, a pretty good job and I feel like he's the sort of guy who might reach out and discuss with you know specific members of the community about what they can do in that space I mean I think we've all kind of thought about what we think might be the best way of doing it but like any ideas we have really need to be tested out and well thought out it's one thing to theory craft these but then you've got to actually put them to practice and go uh does this work <laughs> i personally would love to see when the new rules are rolled out they get rolled out as the scorpion pack comes out so there's like a month to quickly um test them in a bunch of put them in the wild get a bunch of feedback and then you know just before worlds look if it turns out those new tyreka bulls are trash you can just pull them back which is not ideal but at least it gives them a little bit of time just in case there's some exploit that people work out because when you put something to the wild people work out exploit it yep <clears throat> my advice with the current rules is don't go to time play fast and play yeah. an aggro deck and if you do go to time then always have a game plan for it and practice going to time and practice you know making that transition to a lower bid practice stalling hey if you need to stall a game to win a game i'm not above that i'd do it uh you should every, i think everybody should go and read that um what was it the gamers bible uh that's on on discord in the dojo i, I haven't know. seen that maybe you oh can my give God. a look to that <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna go get it it right. is uh it's pretty good it's basically it's basically as you say um if it's within the rules anything goes right Within reason. Find the fight that you can exploit to win yeah. and then play to win. I think that's what it's called, actually, play to win. PDW. I well, love it. I, I got chastised for including Shadowlands cards in my line deck at Kotai, so... <laughs> 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 there are definitely some more honourable people than me in this yeah. land. <laughs> no, no. I, I definitely believe in the power of the Shadowlands. Right. Um, I think we've got a few listener cues that we can potentially provide some A's for. Uh, yep. Yeah. Look, do you want to you want to read them out, Birdie? Sure, I'll read them out. Uh, first up, we have Hugh Aldous. Hey, uh, Hugh. He's submitted two, but we're only going to do one because <laughs> we are we like you know one shots. Didn't we've somebody got, uh, get on the Facebook page that we would answer every question? Well, I did. Me. I did actually. <laughs> I <quite> <laughs> <laughs> I said, to... unlike some other podcasts, we will yeah. guarantee we answer each of your questions. Merlin, How... please cloud the mind on Bert. <laughs> How much is a Bert guarantee worth? Fucking nothing. Have you nothing. fucking seen my stream, dude? <laughs> I should have had to lick my shoes, tattoo my ass of the lion by now. Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of stuff. All right, man. Anyway, okay. Bert, what's, Hugh, what's Hugh ask? What would the presenters consider as an acceptable dress standard for competitive play? Please include reference to trim and cut. Do you dress formally for a formal level event? If so, how? <laughs> it's a tuxedo, cummerbund, like formal evening wear only for um, for worlds. You know, I don't think anyone else. That's it's black. Pretty sure it's black tie, isn't it, Merlin? You've been to one of these before. Black tie. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me that the uh, the perma virgin neckbeard community just doesn't really care about fancy dress. Wow, um, shots fired yeah. to nerds and virgins everywhere. <laughs> you know what? Since I'm a member of the community, I'm a, it's like the <laughs> racist to your own race, right? It's like whatever. Yeah. Wait, you can say it if you are one, right? Yeah. yeah. You're a nerd. Bird. I claim, ne I claim neckbeard, them guys. <laughs> yeah. 
Legit, uh, I would say I want to see Ben wearing the uh, uh, the one piece from the Big Lebowski, the full on yeah. uh, jumpsuit, purple Jesus. jumpsuit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come to Jesus. <laughs> Might have to have like uh, you know uh, a restraining order, like a radius. I'm not allowed to play anybody under the age of eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my big requirement would just be: please don't sweat so heavily that you're drip you're dripping onto my cards because i've had that happen in net run before and that wasn't great or yeah if you're a, a sweater or you know you've got a bit of a issue and look we've all we've all had problems in our lives we know this um just like put some deodorant on like seriously and other thing here's like a little convention tip is uh clothes that are washed like Bring enough. If you're going there for three days, bring three sets of clothes at least. And here's a here's a trick for newcomers: fourth pair of undies. Never know, might get some skid marks during the nighttime. Let's just make sure that you've got got that covered. Yeah, there's nothing worse than wearing two, like a day old or two day old undies. No, nah, don't do it. That's a good question. Thanks, you. Inside out doesn't cut it either. <laughs> <laughs> Being a I'm, former Nosferatu Lapa, I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with all of these uh, <laughs> tricks. Sprung. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, next question. This is from uh, Nathan Budd, one of our honorary uh, rollers. Like, she's a full time roller now. He's a so full time West Coast roller. It's like West awesome Coast guy. Avenger. And he's got. I'm gonna. We're gonna answer both because he's got special privileges, listeners. Fuck you guys. He's a member <laughs> of our team, and they're actually both good questions. So. Uh, first one is, how do you decide which cards to mulligan for both Conflict and Dynasty? Do you want to take this? Uh, all right. So I feel like I feel like uh, it's. I'm going to answer in more general, right? So with regard to the mulligans, it's like anything else in your matchup. You have to have a plan. Know which cards you are looking for in which matchups, right? So a particular character, like, I don't know, Tadaka or something like that, and you need a cloud, and then no matter what, play to your practice, right? If you've practiced a particular routine for your mulligan, play that way at the events. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going to an event and in your first game or in an important game, whether it's Swiss or in the cut, you're throwing out your strategy out the window just because you think you might try something different. That's... That's not how you do it. Yep. Don't um, try something different. I would different. say don't don't try something different. No. Don't experiment. Just fucking follow the rules, boys and Just girls. Follow the rules. And if it leads you astray, learn from that and then try better next time. Yep. I would say uh, assassinate. There are certain premium cards that I always look for. If I'm running Unicorn Splash, I'm always trying to hunt the Spyglass. I'm always looking for a turn one assassinate. This is conflict side. Um, if you're playing like a really powerful restricted card, like a charge or a forge edict, you want to look for one of those. Just um, think about what you're going to need for that first turn, because it's likely by second turn that you'll fill up your hand with the card you're looking for for later in the road. So look for your early game impact cards. So and there's then also dynasty. Generally, I go for low drops, just yeah. low drops turn one. So there's a rookie mistake, right? So I think something, and and you guys may disagree with me uh, on the other end of this call, but I think there's a challenge where you see your favorite character. Say, for example, you're playing Phoenix and you're like, Dynasty Wires, you see Tadaka, right? And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to keep him around so that way I can play him on turn two. The challenge with that is 
you play that through in your mind or play it through in an actual game where you keep Tadaka is that province is going to be a magnet probably won't survive mm-hmm. that turn um, and also you if if you've got other dudes that you need to like ditch or cards you need to ditch from your mulligan don't keep Tadaka there because he'll, he'll just clog you clog it up and you get a much better ca- chance of getting a shitty dynasty flop it's much better having a first turn forgotten library or another two drop or something am I right Merlin? what do you think you're complete you're completely right if you've got three three of a card in your dynasty slot that you need to get onto the table you're probably going to see at least one of them by turn three there's not really much points if if you're flushing all your cards every turn there's not really much points um keeping cards around that you've got like three of in the deck because you know you'll see another one it's fine yeah i would say that there's no dynasty side character that's really expensive that you should always keep like have a plan for it um yeah like like it sounds like you've got a caveat (laughs) well like if you got like like if you if you get a uh a kayo envoy i never mulligan that right no so they're like expensive guys that you can't really play turn one uh, I yeah. completely agree with Ben. Obviously, yeah, that's, that's a really good rule. Obviously, it's if probably you have the a charge. Same. That's the exception, but yeah, it's um, probably the same with your hand. If you're not, if you're not realistically going to play it on turn one, don't keep it. Yeah, you know. And then there are certain dependent silver bullets that you need to look for, like let go against dragon and so on. Mm. Okay, Pathfinder's blade. If you happen to run it, yep. Pathfinder's blade and charge still a great Thanks, combo. Uh, Still, a... <laughs> dude, that was that's a great combo. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next question. This is from uh, another one from Nathan. Just quickly, uh, in what circumstances might you choose to prefer to go first if you win the flip? What's oh, the advantage? Oh. Good question. Uh, ben, you want to go first? Sure. I'm probably the only one that ever really chooses to go first from time to time. I um, I, I I do do it in one particular matchup. Okay, I I, I know the match. Uh, can I th- can I try th- and guess the matchup? Yeah, well, yeah. Hold on. guess in a second. I'll, t- I'll just tell you my because I'm not going to talk about that matchup. So yeah, for yeah. me, um, yes, there are specific matchups, and and and, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. But for me, um, I have two specific decks, and you could apply this. Actually, I guess three. Like if you're playing an aggro deck, right? Sometimes you actually want the initiative because. If if you're playing an opponent who's quite good um, on the offense and and they and you know they can basically bow your dudes out. Say for example, if I'm playing lion, um, so I have a aggro HMT lion type deck, right? I tend to bug guys without fate. The problem is if I pop you know two or three you know one cost two cost lion dudes on the table, right? No fate on them. If my opponent goes first. You can like watering and then maybe hawk tat and do a bunch of like hawk tat's a big problem, right? Do a bunch of stuff, which means that when I get my first conflict, you know, maybe two of my guys already aren't eligible to actually get into the conflict on the offense. And if my goal is to take provinces early, then that really hurts a lot. So there are some matchups like Lion and I guess HMT Unicorn potentially, depending on how you've designed the deck, where I absolutely um will choose to go first much to my opponent's delight um until he loses three provinces on turn one yeah i think that's a good comprehensive answer i i would say just generally speaking if you're like a beginner or an intermediate player 
and you don't, or you're not a specific lion or unicorn player, just never ever do it. Yeah, maybe experiment to it in your casual games, experiment with it. But I would say, rule of thumb, always go second because more fate is better, and having having initiative on turn two is also really nice. Um, when when there's fate on rings, um, but yeah, you, that that is a good point. Like the the decks that are trying to win faster, for them, like the extra fate. Because that, that one fate advantage you get from going second turn one, it actually compounds over turns. It means you have to spend less. Uh, you can you can bank more fate. You can pass earlier, sooner in following turns and so on. There are a lot of compounding things that happen off that extra fate. But like if you're trying to win the game by turn three, then a lot of those factors don't really matter to you. Like the, Losing the economic game isn't necessarily a game loss if you're going to be able to break their province by turn three, right? So yeah, that's a really good answer. Cool. All right. Hang on. Next one. Bert, you, you said you said that there was a oh, matchup yes, that you would do. Oh yeah. What was what's your guess? Crane versus Crane. Yeah, that was my guess too. That's a good guess. It's not the one though. Oh, uh, it's uh, Lion v Lion. Oh wow. Lion v Lion. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea why. Enlighten me, O Master. <laughs> well, if it's HMT Lion v HMT Lion, um, every single oh, game that oh, I've ever yeah. played of that mirror, yep. uh, it's decided by the first player to play charge. So there you go. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the first okay. one to play charge has won every single... Mi- I played about probably 20 of them, and yeah. Because I thought uh, it would on be... On the attack, because charging on the fence is horrible. Right. I, agree. I thought it was the first person to activate their box, because the first That's player too, in that yeah. situation gets the, three, gets the three conflicts. The other guy doesn't. That's also a very good point. All right. Next but, question? Yeah, let's, let's just keep moving along. Ray Dent... Uh, What's up, Ray? I think he's probably our number one fan by now, would you guys say? <laughs> yeah. Should make him a t shirt, right? All right, awesome. <laughs> he's asking, what is our favorite, what are some of our favorite uh, of, of the rollers? Oh, I, I can't fucking read. What have been some of the rollers' favorite moments in the story of L5R so far? Oh, I can instantly not answer this question because I actually don't know the story so well, far. I'll give you mine quickly because yeah. I've, I've only read one. And it's oh no, I've read two, and one was I loved, which was the Emerald Championship, the episode, uh, the the insert where Taturi was facing off with Aramoro for the Emerald Championship, oh, brilliant. and Yojiro basically spilled the beans on what the Scorpion was going to do, um, which was using a, like a little pendant to blind Taturi um, when the sun was just at the right angle or whatever, and Yojiro kind of like spilled the beans to Taturi. And it just illustrated how these clans work, like um, how Scorpion are just playing a, the game on a whole different fucking level. There are there's, there's like plans within plans as a as a nod to one of the old L5R cards. I thought that was such a cool moment. That that Emerald Championship was awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've got what about two, you, Ben? Well, I've got two quick ones. Uh, one again was uh, my boy Taturi in when he was talking to the emperor and deciding um you know and and the emperor was giving him the news that he's going to have to write an edict and and let everybody know who the uh that he's changing succession plans and he's stepping down from the throne and second kitty his second son's going to step up i just thought the like one-on-one um intimate sort of chat that they had it was kind of like two you know titans of the empire uh and both from very different perspectives but 
you know, what they were doing and the way they were talking is was actually bringing together all the politics and all the various storylines, all the different threads that we've seen so far. It was the first time we saw, like, all right, we've seen the pieces, but now we've actually seen the chessboard and people moving pieces on the chessboard. So I thought that was super cool at the macro, mega, like, meta plot level. But then at the, instead of the meta plot, like, the micro, like, intimate stories, I really enjoyed the, um, the Kasori story, which was um, a precursor to Spirit and Sword, I guess. But it was uh, where you've got um, Kato Kasori uh, meeting a Mashido wielder and, uh, you know, how, how Kasori got her name. And it kind of showed how the Phoenix manipulate the elements and it kind of highlighted the, the elemental theme of um, L5R and, you know, interacting with water and, and what kamis are and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was kind of like cool sort of um, magic slash spiritual story um, that was very personal as well. Um, so they're my two nice. favorite story moments. Good answer. All right. Uh, next one's from Brian Holland, <laughs> who's uh, he runs a lot of the events down here in Melbourne. He's uh, he works a good game. <laughs> Shout out to you, Brian. Hey, he bro. asks, "Have you answered my dick question yet?" Now, anyone who knows me knows I love talking about dick. <laughs> just to Brian. just to preface it, the, the master answer. of tact. Uh, I think <laughs> I think this is a reference to he asks like maybe on our first or second episode, who's the biggest swinging dick in L5R in Australia? And I don't know. I'd say Glenn. He's the champion, right? Yeah, it's Glenn. Yep. Rainy, How do you, right, so, champion. you know what? You know what? It, you know what? You know what else about that question? He says, have you answered my dick question yet? Which means that he hasn't been listening to the episodes to see whether we have answered the question yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh. True. Take, He's take, going to take. answer the same question next week, and we're going to say, yeah, we have. Listen to the episodes, Brian. Come on. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have one from Ronan Gomez. Um, he says, assume you're writing the updated restricted list. Uh, what would you change it to? And I'm just going to gonna amalgamate this with another question. I can't find the gentleman's name, but he, he also asked the same thing. What, which one card would you add and which one card would you remove? Mm, cards to remove. That's a tough one. I think adding to the restricted list, I would go with um, Resto. Uh, removing, I'm going to defer my answer while I go and look up what's on the restricted list. <laughs> sure. Well, for me, I would add Mountain Anvil's Keep uh, to the restricted list. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. I think it's a very elegant solution. I would also add Hawk Tat, and I wouldn't remove anything. Yep. Would you add? Would you add the Fantasy Flight Game Center in Rosefield to the restricted list? <laughs> 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 You know, one of the genius like, things I would like about to restrict Nate French. Nate French. Do you know <laughs> yeah. one of the genius things about restricting Mountain Anvil's uh, keep putting that in the restricted list is it means that dragon players can't play any other dragon cards that are on the restricted list. So if we add Hawk Tat or Let Go, it's like oh no, Miramoto's Fury. So it means dragon players can't play Miramoto's Fury. It's only a non dragon card. That's why. So it's good. Anyway. I like that. Yeah. It's it's nice. Simple uh, for, yeah. I reckon I, I think restoration is the biggest problem right now. Yeah. Um, and Hawk Tattoo. Just need, I think Arata would be better for Hawk Tattoo because I think 
yeah the way it was intended to work is kind of cool right like you can move your monk in and then immediately void fist because you've got the trait the requisite trait or whatever but like yeah the way it currently is is just completely bastardized conflict phases uh next up we have shay ramsey what clan would you like to see get the corrupt dog and why this is some this is... ongoing meme these guys have had since Game of Thrones, I believe, or L five R one, the first the first game, where they they apparently like in the story murdered a dog. Or got, I don't know how it worked. <laughs> they got a dog made and then murdered him, and they want to see it redone here. So yeah, which yeah, clan would get the corrupt dog? Probably. Well, doesn't the yeah the unicorns get like the master of puppies or something, right? The moto war dogs. <laughs> Puppy dog master. <laughs> have to be the ponies. What about the <laughs> lion, like Beastmaster? Maybe the Beastmaster matriarch gets a um advanced version that's uh, an experienced version that's at least playable. <laughs> I, I would love to see ratlings have their own stronghold <laughs> and then have pet dogs. That would be yeah. <laughs> You would like to see ratlings riding dogs into combat. Oh, the, mate. Is that the eye bleach wet. expansion? <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Will Bowen. Shout out to you, Will. Uh, I played a couple three-player games uh, on the weekend. It was surprisingly quick. This format clearly adds new casual dimension to L5R. Are there any other formats or deck-building restrictions, uh, e.g. Highlander, that you have played? Have we played uh, any like weird... We played open roles when roles were hard-locked. In some that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so middle that was a lot yeah. of fun. A lot of fun. Um, Minute you know what I played like? the teams event. That was cool. Yes. Uh, I like the Siege format from old 5R, and I would love to see a Siege format in new 5R. That'd be. Yeah. Is that the game we played at yours? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was awesome fun. Yeah, that was so much fun. <laughs> that one where, yes, that's that's the one. We got to fight, fight Fu Lang. Hell yeah. <laughs> got to run the black um, line. It was super cool. But, but you know the Terminal Directive from Netrunner? The story uh, sort of like, thing, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a legacy campaign type of box. I really like that as well. Cool. Thought that was a great idea. There's a lot. There's a lot of space there in the casual part of the game because the game clearly um, appeals to like hardcore neckbeard nerd virgins like me um, who want to take it really seriously and stuff. But I think the the des- core design is so elegant that casual formats definitely have a place. So it's oh, cool. Yeah. All right, Darren Hazelden. Uh, have you paid the Troll 5R... Sorry, have you paid Troll 5R the Drew royalties yet? Well, I'd just like to say... And look, you know what, Darren? This is it. We're, we're giving you airtime right now, and then we're not answering any more of that particular question. If you want to ask about stuff not to do with Troll 5R, we'll totally entertain it. This is it. So your whole, like, oh, Troll 5R were the first to do questions and answers... Well, I'd like to say no royalties are due because it's public domain. And I've kind of gone back, like how far away, like when was, you know, question and answer on, on like a radio or podcast first up. So I found this, this thing. This is Albert Mitchell's daytime answer man program at your service. A program that answers your questions and helps you out with your problems. Anyone can ask a question about anything, and everyone is that your voice there? A reply. Is that your voice? Some on the air, no, all this by is me. The answer man. So that was a uh, uh, radio serial, a uh, radio show uh, from 1931. So if you can produce an episode of the podcast that's dated prior to 1931, then then we can talk. But until then, shut up. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. And we have Lucky Last uh, coming up to the end of the cast here. This is from Anil Sitharam, who is uh, our beloved Minds Desire. Uh, he's got a couple. One of them is, now that we know all but three cards in the Scorpion pack, do you see a meta shift? It's the first. Hmm. I'm actually going to go with no. <laughs> like, as as much as I, I love new cards and I like... Um, I've like seeing new archetypes emerge. I am not seeing anything that's uh, going to break break out here. Well, my perspective depends. I guess what you mean by a meta shift. If by meta shift you mean are there different clans that will have more power, then I would just say that I think Crane are going to uh, move up the ranks, and I think they're going to be very competitive. But if we're talking about like trends and archetypes and different ways of playing i think that uh with the elemental cycle and now the scorpion pack i feel like a lot of play like a pk sort of effects things like noble sacrifice and i can swim i think they become a lot more playable and i think and obviously with the scorpion side of things with aramoro and shoju etc i feel like there'll be a lot more opportunity to just discard characters and that's something we haven't necessarily seen be reliable like i can swim has generally not been super reliable but with the new duelist with maze of illusions which makes me sick that that card was printed but anyway um i just think that there is uh, probably um more more pk i would say i think um unicorn being elevated that was mainly due to the elemental cycle, I would say, but this newest character probably puts him in a good spot. Yeah. Like, eventually, the weight of, of uh, you know, compounding add additions to their deck is going to tip them over the scale uh, above tier two, hopefully. Um, I would say it, it's probably going to have maybe less of an impact than the Phoenix Clan pack did. I feel like the Phoenix Clan pack really helped phoenix get out of kind of they were in a bit of a pit to be honest before that pack um they got a lot of juice out of it um so i think and they still didn't win a kotai right like they didn't win a single kotai it was dominated by a crab and scorp still um mm. but i feel like they got a huge boost i don't think scorp's gonna get a huge boost i hopefully Actually, what i'd like to see is that the archetype gets a boost that secondary archetype uh so speaking of kotes they got close exactly once like before the elemental cycle came out right i think it was origins i don't think we'll see any sweeping change i mean like we're already seeing the monks you know come into focus scorpion's still going to be scorpion the lion and unicorn decks are the most interesting to me i hope they get a little more gas okay all right so and then he has one last question as well uh do you still think dragon is brain dead easy tier zero smash deck or with the dragon struggles in the World Cup, uh, do you want to admit it's not as easy to dominate with that deck? Because apparently, uh, dragon has been like 40, 48% wins or something, 45% wins, something like that in the World Cup. Um, yeah. Is that like per capita? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like total, total results. Dragon is, is like 40 something percent win rates. Okay. <clears throat> Do I think dragon's easy? Uh, I don't know. I took a dragon deck to a tournament maybe a couple of weeks ago. 
two weeks ago, and I did fairly well with it. And I don't really play Dragon a whole lot. Um, I would say it is actually kind of easy, but uh, I think that when you look at the tippity top of the competitive play, uh, I think it's anyone's game. I think player skill matters a lot at the top level, uh, more, much more than deck construction and I, things like that. I agree. I think if you're in a tournament, like a decent-sized tournament that's got middling to good players and you bring Dragon, you're much, much more likely to dominate um, if you're a, of the equal school level. I, I think that if you're an okay to good player then yeah dragon is a lot easier but to merlin's point and i think this is sees it through in the world cup results when you get a bunch of really good players together yeah dragon is really good and it's easy in quotes but you know what when you come up against other very good players it's not you know it's not it's not as good as everybody thinks like it's an amazing deck but it's still you still have to pilot it really well to win the games against very good players so it's not brain dead easy would... versus really good players. Yeah, I agree. I would also add that it's a very small sample size. Um, we're also talking about the best players in the world. And if you look at the actual uh, list of who's playing Dragon, there's guys like me who don't normally play them, who are 0-2, uh, who are playing 45 card decks <clears throat> with a bunch of mantras. And what, what you're seeing in the World Cup is a bunch of players who are specialists like players like Shooter Evan Crane, Johnny Shannon, Scorpion, who have played that matchup a billion times, playing against players who are maybe not as comfortable on Dragon. Because let's face it, there aren't many Dragon players in the entire world, right? And, and like Kingsley, Mind's Desire, they aren't even playing the World Cup. Can you guys even name any other prolific Dragon players? There's a couple guys who play it as one of their secondary clans or, you know, as one of their main clans even. But I feel like there's the population isn't there really to support the the top top guys and like you guys said player skill matters a fuck ton in l5r and so for someone like me i'm playing against players who are experts and i haven't played much dragon before Mm. i'm like shooting myself in 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 the foot in a way and maybe i shouldn't have chosen that clan but i I still think the deck is clearly top dog and and like with that province row just as a baseline you're at a huge edge like you you sit down to start your game you you put out your tokens your rings in the middle and you shuffle up your province row and you immediately have an edge, which is a really nice feeling when you're playing. It's like a security blanket. You're always sitting to the left of your opponent if you're a poker player. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I thought that was going to be like a Vitez reference. <laughs> <laughs> Vitez would be the opposite way, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, you just got position. You've got position, essentially. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well... That was the end of the questions. I probably want to give a bit of a shout out to the Jade Throne. I keep meaning to do this, but uh, those guys there, um, you know, we've been listening to their podcast. We think they're great and all that sort of stuff. And if if you haven't listened to the Jade Throne, if you're one of those Aussies that's just listening to us, it's okay to listen to American stuff sometimes. And so I would tune in. Um, they're great, good, and uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. what I'll say. I've, I've had many many nights uh, a night shift listening to their podcasts and hearing about them like gearing up for a kotai or whatever and training and how they've been playing their decks and it always just you know gets my juices flowing for the game it's a great cast really good yeah it's not that hard to understand their accents it's pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) very true um 
Any any shout outs from you guys? Oh, you know what? We should shout out the restaurant tournament. Yes, and the noobs tournaments. I don't want to yeah. say, actually. Oh, no, now that I've said it, the noobs tournament. No going back, Merlin. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's not a tournament for expert players. It's a player. It's a tournament for new players. So I think it's on the thirteenth. Although, uh, did I see? Yeah. Sorry. Continue, Merlin. Yeah. No, no, no. But if you're listening to the podcast and are thinking about, you know, playing L5R, but are kind of not really ready to step into a, you know, a fully fledged, you know, tournament on a weekend, go to that one because everybody in that one is probably just as inexperienced as you. So you should have a lot of fun. And you've got some people there helping out. Um, from an organizational perspective. So it's in Melbourne. There's going to be a lot of prizes. Um, we'll link to the tournament. Uh, and, you know, it's got a bunch of people there supporting it. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Although I did see Bert. Can did I, also I just... see you ticked that you're going? You're trying to take down number one spot. Who, me? Did I? I think I'm gonna, you need to, I'm gonna you be need there. your third layer, I right? <laughs> according to Glenn, I'm I don't play this game, so you know. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't well, play I, this can game. I just say something about the, the new player? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can I just say something about the new player thing? I think it's a fucking great idea. And that mm. some of my favorite moments in this game and any game I've played, but especially this game, was been has been with you guys. We were like first discovering the game and like working together to work out the game and how all the cards worked and, and all the interactions and stuff like that phase of learning a game and playing a game is my favorite and like i can't get that back now because we're all old salty veterans and we've, <laughs> we've played thousands of games in jagoku but um that is just such a great environment and i imagine that that event will be a lot of fun so yeah. if you're yeah it's a great idea yeah and um that same night is the uh, the Japanese restaurant. So for people that don't know, Wayne runs a game at a Japanese restaurant in the city. Uh, it's got heaps of table space. Uh, we play three or four rounds, and uh, there is there is official like prizes because it's sponsored by one of the local stores. Mm-hmm. All right. Any other shout outs before we uh, call it a night? So many shout outs. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess not. No. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Shout out to shout out to my viewers. Shout out to my subscribers. Like and subscribe. <laughs> share. Follow, follow hit, me on Twitter. Hit that, hit that like button. Hit that like. Hit Smash that, like, that bell. <laughs> no plugs. Have you got a? Hey, hey, but have you got a name for your fans? Your subs, your subscribers. You know how like. You know, when different- I get one. I'll you ask mean like believers or something? Be believers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I get a subscriber, I will ask that person what he or she would like to be called from then right. on. Sweet. Alrighty. <laughs> but yeah, check out my LinkedIn. Check out my uh, my MySpace. Uh, fuck, what else is there? YouTube, right. like and subscribe. Cheers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Later, guys. Uh, I'm gonna press stop. <laughs>